Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will point one for you. You understand your rights? episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and I have Jim the Hitman Raffman on the line with me. Good morning, Jim. Woody, good morning, real life, real crime fans. How are you today? Uh, I hope they're all doing well. Um, y'all, we are doing our first ever with this new system, remote uh, co-hosting, if you will, in Jim's in Florida, and I'm finally back in Louisiana today. Just got back in the country last night. So 
we're laying out a track and then this is a very unique story and it's going to be kind of graphic. So if you're going to get offended, turn it off. Uh, um, but the name of today's episode is lumber slumber. All right, Jim. So I'm going to let you start it off. Okay. So this was in 2006 time frame, I believe it was. Yeah, uh, it was in the in, in dead smack in the middle of winter, and in Louisiana, it does tend to get cold. So, if you fans that live up in the north, I know you have zero sympathy for Woody and I when it <laughs> comes to cold in Louisiana. But for us, it's brutal. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it, it was really cold. Yeah, it was in the middle of hunting season. I think probably like the second week of December, and I was praying we wouldn't catch anything, Jim and I. And we were on the night shift uh, during the week, but we were about to get off, I think, um, because I was going to go up to the property and go hunting. But I, I know it was cold because it was ice on the ground, which is kind of rare here. And, um, but I'm just, it, it was like in the mid twenties and very, very cold that morning. Go ahead, buddy. Very, very cold. And, you know, we when we had on call, we were on call till 7 a.m. Right. And that's when the, the day shift would, would be able to take over. And, of course, this call comes in a little after 6. Yeah. Uh, let's tell them, and, about, tell, them, let's tell them about that real quick. The, the When you work all night like that and you're just praying, even if you're in uniform patrol or whatever, that last hour you're just praying that you don't catch a call, right? Especially if, you know, if you're getting off duty for the next couple of days and you've been working and, and the night shift, et cetera. And you're like, Oh Lord, please. No calls, no calls, you know, nothing major. And sure enough, it's six something. We get the call. <laughs> and it, you know, for those that have worked in law enforcement or actually it kind of works this way with just about any job, but when you want things to be quiet and smooth, it never is. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and when you, it, it's just the way it works. I don't know why, but it's just how it goes. And in this particular time, we wanted to be quiet. And of course, we get that early morning call at the lumber yard. Well, the the call comes in. I think I know I had already. I was actually at my residence packing up my hunting gear, getting ready to cut out and go. And then Pedro goes off, and it's. 1021 the radio room and it would have right. gone off to both Jim and I. And so we call in right. and the dispatcher says, you got a body, um, in holding at the lumber yard. And now we out the lumber yard. It's, uh, where the, the forestry is big in this area. Right. And so they cut a lot of trees and a lot of times was for, for what they call poles. So they, they pick out the biggest, longest, straightest pine trees and they haul them in by the truckload and they shave them down in the lumber yard and they stack up these huge piles of trees. I mean, like, I don't know what you say, Jim, 30 to 50 feet high. And, oh, yeah. very and, much, and, very they, and they keep, they spray them with 24 hours a day with, with water and, and a creosote mixture to keep them from drying out. And so 
anyway, so Holden, Louisiana, y'all, is on the east side of the parish. And you heard me talk about that in the past, how the law enforcement-wise, the parish is divided up geographically, east and west. And so I know I, it probably took me at least 25 minutes to get there. And, and Jim, where, where were you living at the time? In Denham? I was in, I was in the southwest sector, so it was in Denham Springs. Yeah. And so to get to Holden from where I was about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Give or take. And, and much like you, you know, typically at that time in the morning, you're not really expecting any more calls to come in. You kind of already got through that time frame where the most things would happen. Um, so much like you, Woody, I was at the house as well when that call came in. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was really, really cold. So I had to get completely changed, uh, and, drive on over to the lumber yard where Woody and I met up there at the lumber yard and took that walk through the lumber yard together. Yeah. And it was one, they had like, um, an office type building in, in the lumber yard. And anyway, so we were alerted that the body was there and one of the workers in the lumber yard got there that morning and, saw a body and they called it in but tell them what happened to well when we got there we you know start looking at it this lumber yard pretty pretty good size and as we're walking through and they're leading us to where the body is um that crime scene is going to be pretty big And when we first observed the body and he was laying he was laying down on his back with his pants pulled down to his ankles and it, it, was, and it was a black male um it was Black male, maybe about six foot, six one, probably about 160, 170 pounds, give or take. Maybe, um, maybe late twenties. I would say not, not that old. Not, not that old. It's either late twenties, early thirties, somewhere into there. And, um, I, you know, one of the things we observed when we looked at this body was. Not only were the pants around his ankle, but he had a bottle shoved in his ass. <laughs> nah, I don't even laugh, but it's just one of those you, know, you don't forget. It's just one of those you you, you know you can't lose the visual, hey. and it's strange and it's odd. And we're not talking about a small bottle, ladies and gentlemen. We're just talking about a forty ounce bottle. If y'all know what, you know what a forty is, it's like a bigger than a quart of beer, like one of the big malt liquor bottles. So it was a, an impressive feat, uh, to say the least. And when you're looking down at him, he's, uh, first of all, he's obviously deceased. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he had ice on him. Um, and the, his pants are down and he has this huge bottle shoved up his ass and it also had um cream all over it if cream if you will there was a like a a suave s-u-a-v-e hand cream one of those big pump bottles uh, beside it so i guess he or he or someone lubricated that bottle up well and he had that thing shoved up as far as he can go and one of the other things that was there too was there was a crack pipe off to the side um, that had, I mean, it had a little bit of crack in it. It had a little bit of a crack uh, cocaine rock in it. Um, 
obviously was was doing some sort of drug. So at this particular point, we're starting to think that maybe this is some foul play or something was going something went wrong while you know they were either doing drugs or doing some strange things. Yeah, the it definitely. I mean, it had to be investigated. I mean, it's a younger guy. Um, and just with your pants down on, on the ground and he still had his, his jacket on. It was like a, one of those fluffy gray, I mean, Jack's, we knew he'd been out there for a while and it didn't appear to be natural causes. We didn't know what it was at this time, but we had it as always treated as a homicide until we, until we know otherwise. So once we try to, you know, look around and fan out for to find some more evidence or to see what could put together the, the, the story for us, there was no video camera. But what we did know was that on the opposite side of this lumber yard was actually a church. And Woody, why don't you go ahead and explain the church because I know you've had some run-ins with them previously. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you, the, the lumber yard is right off of Highway 190 which runs right through the heart of Livingston Parish, all the way from East Baton Rouge Parish to Tangipahoa Parish, and some people call it Florida Boulevard. But this is a really, really rural area. There's no houses. It's the only thing out there in that section is this church, per se, if you will, and the lumberyard. Now, the church is a non-denominational, if you will, and, but it was actually uh, being used as a rehab center. They were saying that they were uh, an official rehab center and through God or, or whatever, and, but they housed a large amount of people that were addicted to drugs and we'd had some complaints on it, some street talk, if you will. And that, you're only as good as your, your CIs, your confidential informants and people will call in and they want a little money and say, Hey, you know, this church thing, it's not really a church that they, they're running dope out of there. And the, the, the rehab is not, it's bullshit. You know, they're, they're taking insurance money. They check these people in. They get the only if they have insurance and they're taking their insurance money and they're keeping them there on dope, uh, providing dope forms because the longer they stay there, the more money they get from the insurance company. We're talking like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a month from insurance companies. And the word we had were was that most of the people that were there weren't even from Louisiana. They would bust them in from all over the country and stick them in this church, if you will, in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana and do the rehab. Go ahead, Jeff. I mean, it's just a big, it's a big scam is really what it comes down to. It's something that's more prevalent the last few years. Uh, I know Florida has quite a bit of them. No, there's just a lot of states that have these types of facilities and not all of them are bad, but we kind of start to realize which ones are bad. Um, through our contacts with the public and people coming in and out of there and 
eventually we'll, we'll learn about it, which is what happened in this particular case. Yeah. And, you know, even though we'd been getting bits and pieces of information about the place, uh, it had only been open for like less than a year, but they didn't have any neighbors. So it's not like it's a nice neighborhood where people are pulling in and buying drugs all the time and, and neighbors are complaining and shit, right? It's just, it was out there. They kind of kept quiet and we didn't have them walking down the highway and stuff like that. Uh, we, we didn't really have any contact or complaints on them other than we were getting bits and pieces of information that it was a potential fraud and that they were supplying drugs to keep their, their patients in the facility to make money off of them. But it, it, you know, ship, we had a ton of other cases to work and it's kind of like the squeak wheel gets the grease. And even though we, they were on the radar, they weren't number one target, if you will. So yeah. the, the, there's nothing there, right? Jim said there's no cameras. The, he, we know from talking to the lumber yard manager that he wasn't dead there when they left that, that, the afternoon before. So, you know, we tape it off. We look the, through for any evidence, et cetera, more signs of foul play. The coroner is called. Um, you know, we work the scene and process it up. And then coroner comes out. And I can say, honestly, that's the only time in my career that we've ever uh, bagged a body once we got done working the scene that and the, we, <laughs> it, it sounds fucked up, but it's the truth. I mean, you put this body in the body bag and he was stiff, like frozen stiff. And so we put him in there and the bottle was so far up his ass, it didn't come out. Uh, I mean, it tagged him and bagged him with the bottle on his ass have to that that very well could be some evidence from fingerprints so right. you know we're treating it just like the homicide and you know one of the questions i remember asking the owners of the lumber yards was what time did they leave right and what is their process when they check out at, at the end of the night and the owners actually said they left at close to eight o'clock p.m they had some paperwork to do in the office and whenever they leave the lumber, lumber yard you know they, they do a whole canvas of the entire lumber yard to make sure uh, no workers are, are left on the premises and whatnot before they drive out of the gate and lock it up. That's right. That's the other so, thing. They had, anyway. they had the gate. Y'all is locked. It's not like, uh, somebody pulled in there and, and I mean, it's, it's a little ways off the road. So they went ahead and, you know, did their whole checks like they normally do. And they said there was no way at all that this body would have been here, would have walked past it. So we know for a fact that that body was not there when they left. So obviously somewhere in the night that body came on to their uh, lumber yard and what took place ended up happening. One of the theories that we had was potentially uh, what this person was going to that church that Woody was speaking of. Maybe they were out walking around, jumped the fence, and it was easier to cut through the lumber yard than it was to go all the way around. That was one theory. Uh, another one could be that Maybe there was some sort of gay lover type situation or maybe even be a gay lover situation, just some sort of crazy sexual play, if you will. And 
they wanted to get away from everybody else at the church to, to find a spot that they could be alone and do some drugs and get weird, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely weird. And the other thing we noticed as we're processing it and the coroner came and working the scene and remember it's butt cold now for, especially for South Louisiana in the upper twenties. And we could see from the back of that building that that church was like maybe three, 400 yards um, to our left and, but, and but a little bit forward, but the back door of the church, we, we could see it. And guess what? It's 25, 26 degrees outside. And as we're out there working the scene and we're working, it takes a couple hours. Y'all we're, we're looking for evidence and then coroner comes and we have to, you know, bag the body and get statements tons from the lumber. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Tons of photos and get the statement from the lumber yard guy, et cetera. Well, then that back door of that church has been open the whole time. There's people that like piled out there smoking and watching what we're doing from a distance. Well, that kind of was a clue too, right? I mean, it, it's too cold to be standing around um, just because you're curious. Right. It's way too cold. So we started thinking that somebody over there may have, may have known something. Um, perhaps they know who this person is and may have some information. We weren't completely sure. So we didn't go over there to, uh, to talk to them and to see if, you know, what kind of information they could provide us. Right. Uh, I, and I know Woody initiated that conversation. Yeah. But the funny thing, well. yeah, the funny thing was, but as soon as they, they're out there watching us the whole time. And as soon as we turn to walk over in that direction, they all scurry inside like cockroaches when the, when the lights come on, right? They all haul ass inside and shut the door on us. You know, right, right when we're walking up to him, like, okay, Jim, Jim, this is, this ought to be interesting, right? So we we knock on the door and they didn't want to answer. I'm like, uh, hello, assholes. We saw y'all just go in. You've been out here all morning. And, uh, finally some lady opened the door and we introduced ourselves, Detective Overton, Detective Raffman. And, you know, uh, who's the manager here? And, and the, preacher came out he's like i'm the manager and we told him say hey look you know we have a, a deceased guy over here or are you missing anybody and because and, i knew and we knew it was a rehab right and oh yeah and and so he was like oh i don't know i don't know if we're missing anybody or not and i'm like okay well you we've been out here for like four hours now and i mean how many people do you have here I think they had like 30 or 35 people living in we, this place. Yeah. They did. And we asked them too, like, do you have a list, like a roster That's list right. or a manifest of who's staying here, whether they're assigned a specific bed or whatever the case is. Uh, and his response was real interesting. Woody, I'll just let you run on with this one. Yeah. I know it gave you a case of that red. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was, first of all, he didn't want to say anything. He was like, well, that's, you know, um, I don't have to tell you anything that we have. Um, it wasn't called HIPAA back then, I don't think, but he's, he, we have confidentiality things. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something, jackass. The 
you're going to tell us and, you know, or we'll just bring, we'll call a bus out here and bring every some bitch in this place in for questioning. You, you can either talk to us here or we're going to drop the hammer on you. And that's it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't want to let us into the place. And, and one of the, one of the issues is too, is, you know, granted, I know you had mentioned the HIPAA thing, but we were actually initially asking him if they could just do a list, do like a name, go inside, do a name call out and see who's present and who isn't present. Right. Right. Um, and if somebody's missing, we just, we needed to know who the missing people were, if there were any. Right. Because typically the, the deceased very well could be from there. And if there was somebody else involved and they took off and they're also missing, well, that gives us a name and somebody to start tracking down. Right. Um, so that's how we initially started as, as a friendly thing. But if he really wants to take the gloves off and get into it, I mean, we absolutely can. Yeah. And I think um, what really pissed me off was, I mean, we we're standing out there and, and he's, he's standing in the doorway. He's not letting us in. I'm like, can we come in and talk? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, why not? And he was like, because we don't want you in here. We want to uh, protect the confidentiality of our clients. I'm like, dude, it's cold out here. And I mean, you know, can we come in? And so it, eventually he led us into the, the um, like, like the corridor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a corridor on their little kitchen. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah. Well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Looking for a new and healthier way to unwind? I was too, and then I tried Recess Mood. Recess Mood replaced that after-dinner alcoholic beverage for me, so I saw a difference in both my mood and my belly. It's made with real fruit, it is only 20 calories, and it contains no added sugar. Recess Mood is infused with functional ingredients like mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, so you can relax without the alcohol or the hangovers. Recess Mood tastes great, too, and comes in four different flavors. My favorite flavor is the Strawberry Rose. So whether you need a moment away from the errands, work, and kids, or you just need a moment to chill during dinnertime chaos, Recess Mood is where it's at whenever you need to relax and unwind. 
You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash RLRC and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Thing was to the left. And let me tell you something. These people were getting fucked because the from what we could see, they didn't have even bunk beds. It was like air mattresses and shit on in a, in a room the only the part that we could see i mean so it's, it's like a flop house almost but he led us into the the four-year thing and he was still being an ass and i said listen dude i'm so i'm not fucking around with you the we are i'm dead serious that we're gonna you know pull every son of a bitch out of here and find out what's been going on, everything. I said, I'll have information that you may not be on the up and up. I said, I'm not trying to here to try to sweat you about that. I said, Detective Raffman is not here. We're not here about uh, if if there's drugs going on inside your establishment or if you're a real rehab or not. We're here about the dead body over there. And if you don't give us some information, it, it's going to be hard times for you. And you know, so you don't want to see us not be nice. You know, he, he very easily could have said from the very beginning, if he didn't want any issues with us, to say, listen, I've accounted for all my people. Everybody's present. So if you guys have something over there, it wouldn't belong to the to the church. But that absolutely isn't the direction that it went. It was right from the very first second of contact. It was, we don't want to talk to you, and I'm not willing to help you in any way, shape, or form. Right. And just, you know, being rude, and which is which is very unusual for a rehab facility is very unusual for a preacher. That's typically not the behavior. They usually accept everybody. And, you know, at times what I've experienced and what Woody's experienced when you deal with other rehab centers, sometimes they actually need your help because they have somebody that could be losing control and they, right. you know, it's just well, when you have to come in and help. So for them to be this standoffish and to be uh, this resistant towards our presence, definitely put up some red flags he he didn't even want to give us his full name now i'm thinking about him when i asked it he's preacher mark or whatever and i'm like last name and it was like i don't want to give him the name that's i think that's what really got you pissed off um and then we were like okay so basically threatened him like either you're gonna help us jack or you know it's just not gonna go well for you so he ends up um, acting like he went to make a count and he comes back and he says, oh, I have one person missing. And I said, can you describe him to us? And that, and he gave this description that fit the guy. And, and so the, now again, we don't know if it's a homicide or what the deal is, but the potential killer could be inside this building. And so we asked for a list of everybody in the building and he told us no. And I said, okay, well, you know what? We are going to go do what we have to do, and we'll be seeing you real soon. Yep. We are going to get what we need. Yeah. And so we went out, scheduled the uh, autopsy, which we'll get into that in a second. But we run this guy, the, the, the preacher, and it turns out he has a criminal history for numerous drug offenses in the past. So that goes into the um, the fake rehab deal, right? And but the one thing you really don't want to do is what we call pop, and that's abbreviated for piss off the police. And he had pissed us off, so 
I mean, once you tell I him. I mean, it, it, it's not like we're not going to find out who he is. I mean, we have an address. One, we can put in any call that's ever been to that location, and we can, you know, search property record or whatever the case might be to figure out who owns that property and, you know, give us the right first name or give us the last name. That's fine. We're going to find out. But now we're investigating something that could potentially be a homicide, so therefore, you know, our scope of our investigation goes as far as it needs to go in order to solve the crime. Right. So, um, you know, it wasn't like we weren't going to find out who he was or, you know, he was going to have some magical trick on us. We're not going to know. Um, not to mention uniform patrol in that area knows just about everybody. If you're doing good community-orientated policing, then you're going to know who all the people are in your sector um, and get some information. So we were obviously going to speak with some uniform patrol members and gather whatever information we could. Right. So what we did before we left was we called Stan um, Carpenter, our chief of detectives, told him what was going on, and we came up with a a plan, phase one, if you will, of pissing off the police. We parked a a uniform patrol unit at the gate to the church, and with instruction that anybody walks out of here. Anybody drives out of here, pull them over, ID them, right? We don't want anybody fleeing the scene, um, et cetera. If it, when hell, it could have been the preacher. That was a murder. We didn't know. But there weren't a lot of vehicles at this rehab center. Was, uh, these people didn't drive in. Evidently, they flew into Baton Rouge and New Orleans, and the preacher or whomever went and picked them up. So it was almost no – I think there were like two cars. But the first stage of pissing off the police is – now you have a unit parked here until uh, actually our intention is we were going to uh, try to get a search warrant the based off the fact that the preacher said the guy was housed there and we didn't, we didn't have shit else to go on right so um right. so nobody was leaving that son of a bitch without being identified and i'm sure half of them in there probably had warrants so but we scheduled the autopsy, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. And, Jim, you, you can tell me about it. Yeah, so actually the autopsy was the same day. It was just later on that day. So, And, and, uh, and that, was, that, that was rare for us, y'all. Normally the autopsies had um, – it was at least one day out. Uh, but At least one day. It, but in this particular time, given that it was cold out, too, and I don't think the coroner had anybody else to do what he does on. So um, – yeah, we had an autopsy same day, so Woody and I went over there uh, to the to the autopsy. Um, so you know, just like we've done in previous cases, you know, we take pictures of the the seal, the serial number, um, you know, band that's on the, the the body bag, and take everything out, and um, you know, lay the body out, and the coroner does what the coroner does from there, which is to go from head to toe. And not missing it. And one of, um, and that includes y'all when they cut the clothing off. They, you have to go through the clothing. And one of the things they found in the clothing inside that fluffy jacket, which I'll never forget, the um, it's like the, the Michelin Man thing with the rolls on the jacket. If you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, inside is the uh, jacket pocket. He had a bag of crack cocaine for like four or five rocks in it. Yep. So that. We, they found the crack cocaine. They'll take all the clothes. We'll individually 
bag all of that and send that off for analysis because you don't know what you're going to find DNA fibers on there or well, whatever the case could be. So, you know, the meticulous process all the way through uh, the autopsy. Um, but when we got to the bottle itself, the coroner actually pulled the bottle out. And what we found on there was interesting because it was a glass bottle. There was actually a condom put over that glass bottle. Sorry. And it was lube. So clearly it was intended for that kind of play. Now, um, maybe the, the condom was on there. If the glass broke, I don't know. Maybe they thought it wasn't going to, wasn't going to rip the condom or maybe that was just what was supposed to keep it, um, in the one place. I, I don't really know, but there was a condom on that. Um, and there was a ton of the lotion or the swab bottle of, and cream or whatever that was all put all over that bottle. So the coroner actually pulled that out and, and, and right away it was kind of a shock factor because I wasn't expecting to see that. What I was actually thinking, um, if it was some sort of humiliation after you were already deceased for whatever the cause was, if someone shoved the bottle up, up, up this person's ass, but to find a condom on it, it kind of changes your mindset a little bit. Like that was, like, what, what the yeah, hell is going was, on here? It was There's crazy. Legitimately, a condom on a glass forty bottle. Like I, that yeah, blew my mind. That that's right. And you know what? Going back to the scene, and I, when you said it, the um, we did find a condom wrapper, open condom wrapper, and that's what it originally made us thought it may have been some type of sex play. But then you know, I'm like, okay, we didn't find a condom. Not, I mean, we I literally know. looked through everything, every trash bin. We wanted the everywhere. We wanted the DNA from that condom. Uh, Absolutely. And obviously, there was a reason we weren't getting it. It's because it was up his ass. But it, it was it was up his ass, and it wasn't visible from where we were. You couldn't see. They had it shoved up so far that the condom didn't even come down all the way on that bottle. Yeah, I, I so just we had no clue. I, I to this day, I can't imagine. I mean, I know when 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 a woman gives birth they you know god has allowed for things to stretch and and you know do what it has to do but the rectum i just don't think it's supposed to be stretched out that big i mean it was bad and i know this is graphic y'all but it's just you have to imagine that i don't know the base of one of those bottles has got to be shit it's much bigger around than than a baseball bat the top of a baseball bat maybe two baseball bats I mean, it's huge. It's it. it, it, So my mind, my mind was blown at that point. I was like, holy smoke. Yeah. But, and again, back to the, the, we've had deaths, a lot of deaths where um, people degraded the person they killed afterwards. Like, you know, shoving stuff up in them uh, and stuff like that. So that was a real thought of ours, especially, you know, when we couldn't find the condom and stuff like that, the, that maybe yeah, they, I mean, they, they killed him. And then, and, and, and the ultimate act of degradation of humiliation is shoving a bottle up someone. Oh, and not just a bottle. We're not talking about a Coke bottle. We're talking about a big ass bottle, shoving it up his ass. 
and and it wasn't far fetched to think that somebody could have humiliated them because it was a short time before then we had worked one where there was a, a death that we can cover on another episode that had to do with um, humiliating that person after the fact. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a far fetched theory to think that somebody would could have done that, whether it was to embarrass that person, to embarrass that person, their family, or even somebody else that we don't know about. It, it, um, so it wasn't a, a far fetched idea. It was almost. I mean, it, it was more reasonable to think that somebody had humiliated him after death than it was to think that he voluntarily shoved that huge thing that far up his ass. So So as the corner continues to go through with the with the autopsy, well, you know, they'll do a, a talk screen, so they'll draw any urine out of the bladder. Um, you know, try to do whatever kind of talk screen they can do. Uh, obviously, it was, you know, I, I believe on that test, it came back positive for crack cocaine in the system. I, I do believe that was one of the, uh, along with maybe, I think, with some, some, uh, some pills as well. Some benzos, I think. There. Yeah, some, some benzos so and crack. It, it, it kind of lit up a little bit like a Christmas tree and all the different lines. And um, So, obviously, the person had been, doing some drugs before this took place. Um, and as the coroner continued to go through the autopsy and uh, ended up finding a blood clot and this big blood clot known as a pulmonary embolism um, found there in the lungs, which was what the cause of death was. And, and so, yeah. It <laughs> First of all, that is, you know, a sign of relief for us almost right and but the when they say it's an embolism and that's the cause of death so we, we're rolling out homicide at that point um but when they when they do that y'all and they work the body and we've talked about it in past episodes and they take out all your organs and weigh them and everything else but when they get to that in the lungs and they actually he actually the pathologist actually cuts open the lungs and the the embolisms are dark almost like it's dark black. coagulated yeah yeah it is big honks is he actually pours them out in his hand and he says this is your cause of death boys this is your cause of death right here and it and it wasn't a small embolism it no. was very very large right so um you know according to the corner with somebody having that large of a pulmonary embolism, um, and you don't get medical attention right away, uh, you're you're toast. And, and unfortunately, because you know pulmonary embolism is is very deadly, and in this particular case, that's exactly what it was. So you have this very large pulmonary embolism that they that he was able to discover. So he continues to go through the rest of his autopsy. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, condom on a bottle. Pulmonary embolism causes death, ion drugs, and then the coroner says, ah, I can pretty much tell you exactly what happened here. And so we're like, okay, well, what you got? And essentially what was determined was that this person smoked a whole bunch of crack. And when you smoke crack or you do something like that, it actually sends your blood out. Right? So you're talking about thinning the blood out a little bit. Went ahead, put a condom on this bottle, lubed the bottle up completely, 
pulled down his pants, he squatted over the bottle. And as the bottle, as he got down further on it, being so large as it was, made his blood pressure drop. And when his blood pressure dropped, and it being so cold out, it would have caused him to pass out. But it triggered the pulmonary embolism. He fell back and died in that position. Yeah. So as it turns out, you know, there was no homicide. You know, there was no strangulation, stab marks, bite wounds, anything like that at all. This guy literally sat on a bottle, triggered a pulmonary embolism when his blood pressure got too low, and died as a result. Right. And then, that's a terrible way to go. Yeah. Well, I suspect too that he was masturbating when, as he was sitting on the bottle. And I mean, I don't know, uh, what the last thought that went through his mind was, but I know what the last thing that went through his lungs were. And that was the big blood clot, right? That killed him. So, big blood clot. so I guess well, the moral, you know, we know at this point, oh, I'm sorry. That's why I was going to say the moral of that story is, um, if you're going to smoke a bunch of crack, and shove a bottle up your ass and masturbate. Make sure it's not like in the, in the 20s outside, right? Oh, I think everything was a factor in that, that cause of death for sure. Um, well, we knew at that point that we didn't have a homicide, you know, so it was just an unfortunate death. But um, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a suicide because he I don't, clearly wasn't right. intending on dying that way is that right. that pulmonary embolism and right uh and, but, and that fast so but the one thing we did have were, were we were still pissed right from the lack of cooperation from the what i'm gonna call the fake preacher and and we had yes we're relieved it's not a homicide but mm, guess what now you're on a radar asshole and you could have made this a lot easier for us i mean technically if we would talk to everybody in there they probably that's what the preacher was afraid of he was afraid we're gonna start talking to his people or running warrants checks on him which we would have done and he just didn't want us there i mean um he's afraid somebody's gonna say about dope and what have you but you pissed us off and we were going to intend it upon coming back with a search warrant based off of what we found out of the autopsy. It had it been a homicide determined, ruled as a homicide, we'd have got a search warrant for the place because we knew that's where he was domiciled and, you know, gone in and looked for anything or talked to people or what have you. But now you got us pissed off. So, Jim, what do we do? Yeah, so, you know, with that, we had, uh, you know, went ahead and got narcotics involved, uniform patrol involved. I mean, we spent some time. We even had some other detective teams finding out some information because before we knew that this wasn't a homicide, you know, we needed to gather as much information as we could because that was a part of our investigation. So we've invested some time now into finding some things out, and we've actually found out a lot of um a lot of issues that raised a lot of red flags, especially in the community. I mean, we were already aware that there were places that accept insurance and house those for rehab, and some are legitimate, but there are some that are not. It's just more of a of a of a scam to collect as much money as possible. And they're not they're not really there to treat the patient. They're just giving them a way to be able to continue what they're doing while they're making money off of it. So some of that information started coming to light 
some of the people that were um, caught by Uniform Patrol, so to speak, with some drugs and what information they've been able to, to, to give out. So we've gathered this collection of, of information from Uniform Patrol and the detectives, and we got our narcotics unit involved um, with this. And they had a little bit of information, so they were able to um, use some CIs, some, some informants, confidential informants, uh, you know, to start working that, uh, you know, to, to go in there and, and whether they're purchasing drugs or whatever the or case selling. might be, they start, yeah. start an investigation. Yeah. And the, that's correct. So we pulled out the uniform guy that we had there and let, let him think that we were letting them be. Um, the confidential informants we mentioned earlier, they were reached out to and these CIs y'all are, they get paid and they have to sign paperwork, et cetera. If they're, you know, certified CI and we, they were used to go back in, find out who was, who was doing the selling, et cetera. And so they would set up on the place at nighttime and know who it was. It was good. You say something, Jim? I'm almost touch base on one thing for those that understand about a, a confidential informant and some of the requirements that go into that. You know, it, there's a misconception out there that if you have a confidential informant and you get them to sign the form, they go in to make a buy and that's it. They're good. Um, you know, you have to actually certify this informant. So they actually have to do this and build that rapport and build that trust where their information has actually been very accurate. Um, so usually it takes a couple of times where they'll go and they'll, you know, provide the information or make the buy and come back with that. And all the information was true and factual. And you actually keep a record right. for that confidential informant. You have to actually log that. And that's how they become a certified informant. Because and, you know, the information given you is accurate. And before you send them in the, like, let's, let's say the first time and, and somebody, you catch them with some dope and then, they you know, say you want to help yourself out and give us somebody else, give us a bigger fish, et cetera. And they do that. And before you send them in, they have to sign all this paperwork that says they won't um, commit any illegal acts uh, and they won't act, acts out, act outside of the scope of what the, whatever the investigation is, is currently going on. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of strict rules. Matt, they are not a law enforcement officer. That's right. You're not a law enforcement officer. Then we search them, strip search them, make sure they don't have anything on them. And like, if they're going in to make a buy, we, we, uh, take pictures of all the bills that they have, make sure they don't have any more money on them. And if they go in and they complete the transaction, they come out, we immediately search them because, and we've had it happen in the past where they'll go in and buy X amount, uh, more than what they're saying and they'll break a piece off and try to hide it on them. And we've actually arrested people for that before, but, uh, back from working narcotics. So when they come back out, you search them again and, uh, then, it, it, especially if they're certified, you search them again and then you can, you're able to take that to a judge and say, Hey, they just went in this residence and you have to describe the residence and who was inside, et cetera. And the, you make a sworn affidavit for the judge and they'll give you, um, so hopefully they'll give you a search warrant to go do what we call a no knock search warrant. So you can hit the residence or the establishment in force and put everybody down, take them by surprise, and do your search. And, and a lot of times, too, when you 
use a confidential informant, they get a number assigned to them. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Right, work. right, right. That's right. So, the, so, so they're not going by name. Use yeah. Confidential informant number 28, and they've made eight buys, and you have all eight of it. When you apply for that search warrant, you can put on there CI number 28. Right. And behind closed doors with the judge, you can provide the documentation to show that this is what this confidential informant has done previously. Um, and that way, you, you're showing that this is a, a certified confidential informant, that we're not just pulling this name out of a hat and making up a number. There truly is a log of what this person has done right. previously to show the truthfulness to the court when right. you're asking for the warrant. And look, they have some CIs out there that are making more money than we make now. I mean, they're pros at it. Once they work off their original charge, and, you know, it's no longer reasonable to say, okay, yeah, well, we caught you with an eight ball of cocaine and you made five buys for us. You're certified now, et cetera. There's no incentive for them, right? And I mean, but so they start getting paid and there's money through the system, uh, through the sheriff's office and the DA's office that's allocated from that, from other people's fines and stuff that they pay in court. And so they, I mean, some of them that I used over the years were making really good money. And they love to work, but, so, but so back to this one, they sent in a, a, a couple of the top CIs, the undercovers to do what they do to make the transactions on, on the church. And they that's were, exactly right. And that's exactly what happened. And they were successful and the went to the judge and presented the evidence and we were got permission to do a no knock, if you will. And Jim and I were both on the SRT team. I, I think I was off of it by this time. Jim was still on it. And I was still on it. Um, what would happen is the SRT team, we got gathered a secret location to do uh, a briefing. And this it, you just don't run out and hit a house, right? Unless there's an active shooter situation or something like that. You get gather all the intel that you can 
such as how many doors, um, how many suspected people inside, um, the, it's a lot, it's a lot like a military mission. You know, you, you don't just run out into the mission and just run with it. You rehearse it. So you try to stage what we refer to as like a glass room where you're, you're kind of mocking up what that house might look like or the building you're going into off of whatever information you have. Um, who could be there? You know, you have to be able to communicate what sides are what. That uh, way, if, you know, if somebody needs help on a particular side of that house, you know where to go based on whatever code word they have. So you rehearse it. You go over it right. multiple times. And, and um, just so everybody's on the same page. And if time isn't of the essence, and sometimes on the search warrants you want, on a narcotic search warrant, you do want to get them done pretty quick because drugs can leave the, the, the scene and not be there anymore. But if you know that you have a house full of shit bags and, and um, they're constantly going to be in possession of narcotics, you, it just there's a lot of preparation that goes into it before the SWAT team goes out and does a no-knock. And a no-knock is when basically it's sheriff's office, search warrant, boom, right? So, Jim, tell them what happened. Uh, describe it for them, if you will. Yeah, so, you know, we rolled down the, the street there. We get to the location, and boom, right away, um, I was part of the entry team. So we had, you know, a breacher and, and so on. And we get up to the door there, chairs off search warrant, wham, hit it. Um, you know, we, we made entry. We did use a flashbang. Let, 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 let me, can we do that let me, let me, as a distraction? Let me, let me throw in a couple of details. When he says they're rolling down, then they had the, let me spare sheriff's office, um, Willie Graves, and now Jason Ard's the same way, the sheriff's, they gave us the best equipment and like other departments much larger departments in major cities were jealous of the shit that we had and one of the things we had was the SWAT truck and it was just badass right so when he says we're going down there the the SRT the guys are all lined up in a truck and then there's you know usually some undercover vehicles ahead and behind but they're stacked up they're ready to go. They know what order, who's who's going behind whom. But when they bail out of the trucks, it's I mean it's it's fast. And from the time, go ahead, Jim. It's a big up armored vehicle, and then on the sides of it is actually this ledge that you can stand on. That's right. So as we're rolling down our way there, we can actually maneuver to stand outside. So when we get to that location, we can immediately just go as a team. Just boom jump right off of that and, and get in your formation, so to speak, and, and you're, you're tactically going right up to the house. Um, so it, it moves like clockwork. And what I what I love so much about the team that we had, and I'll quit it, don't give names, but our, our commander of that, our team leaders, we really spent a lot of time training. Yeah. Um, and the group of guys that were on this team, we all knew each other's strengths, weaknesses. We trained together. All the time. Uh, I mean, it was, I remember just so many hours that we would do it because we, we were active. We, we did a lot of search warrants. We did a lot of, um, you know, on the spot type of call out where an active scene. Um, so we, we really were in sync. And so it was just amazing to be able to do this type of stuff with those group of guys. But in this one, you know, we went up to the door, 
sheriff's off search warrant, boom, door gets hit open, we throw in the flashbang. And a lot of people think, well, the flashbang serve a purpose. Oh, absolutely serve a purpose. Yeah. Because if you look at it, or if you're close enough to it, it's going to stun you for a few seconds. Yeah. And that's all we want, is to be able to to be able to stun it just enough to where we can make entry. And the goal of that is, is so we can have the upper hand, no shots are fired, nobody gets in a confrontation, we're able to, you know, just go on in and do what we need to do. Yeah, it's, it's, and we, did, we went in and secured those that were, you know, that were in there, everybody ended up, you know, the procedure that we'll take to make sure um, everyone is checked, names, so on and so forth. So we did that. Yes, and so they hit both doors, y'all. I mean, you have to remember this is not a residence. It's a, actually like a, a large metal building, and they bang the front door and the back door, uh, two separate entry teams. And you would be amazed at, at you know, you, you play the way you practice. I firmly believe that. But so we would practice over and over and over again on doing building entries, et cetera, and with, without giving away the tactics, whatever. But you can clear a huge building like that in, in under, under two minutes. I mean, like you go through it. If it's done right, if it's done right and you train a lot as a team, which we did, you can continuously flow as you're moving through. Right. And, you know, everybody kind of knows what their position is. If you're towards the back end of that team, you might be more on people watching, so to speak, to keep that under control while the other ones that are doing their continuous movement throughout the building can keep going. Um, and as they need assistance, they can call out for it, and it just keeps flowing all the way through. And, um, I, I, I can't get into the tactics on that because I don't think it would be safe for those that right, still do it. Right. But it's a it's a great tool and a great process that is used, and it's highly effective. And it 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 also saves lives by being uh, that efficient and that quick and that having that shock and awe. Bad guys don't even really have. 90% of the time, they don't even have a chance to think about reaching for a gun. It's that fast. So, but anyway, they'll go through, uh, secure everyone on the initial sweep and then they'll double back and, and do a secondary sweep to make sure that there's nothing missed, uh, nothing that was missed. And then the, you know, the search begins and the scenes, be- it begins to be processed. And we have to check everything on, on the squad. We check it all. And I mean, Woody can test this too. There's times I found people hitting cabinets. Oh, yeah. Um, somebody tried to hide in a dryer one time. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they, anywhere yeah. they can go that they can fit, they're going to hide. So you have to literally search if, if a body could fit in there. Right. And you have to look at it. And right. so we'll do the initial sweep, but then we do a secondary sweep because you don't know if you're going to miss it. And so it's critical because, my gosh, if you miss somebody hiding in a cabin and they sneak up behind you, yep. you're in trouble. Well, so, and, you know, we're very meticulous. And you're doing it not only for your own safety, you do as much of your own safety as you do your brother police officer, right? And so it's it's a very serious deal, but, you know, it's a necessary process. And it was done on this scene, and, and you know, I think we hit it like at 4 o'clock in the morning, Right, while they're you, you, you don't want to hit it at prime time if you don't have to. So most people would be asleep, but it, it was shit. It was a bunch of people, and I mean, it was thirty the plus. Right, thirty something people. They go in, they secure everybody, and we found numerous uh, uh, 
pills and some crack and drug paraphernalia and different things. Meth. Meth, That's right. And shit, it was a plethora. It was a drugstore of illegal narcotics, right? In this church, in the rehab center. And the uh, gym went and snatched up the preacher Uh, after they did the initial sweep and the secondary sweep. He snatches up the preacher and brings him outside. And then we got to advise him of his rights and we placed him under arrest and basically said, Hey, motherfucker, told you we'd be back, you know? So anyway, the long or the short of it is they, we, we shut that fucker down and you shouldn't piss off the police. So if cops ever come to your door and I know the culture is hate in general is lack of trust for the police and everything now, but if they come to your door and asking about a dead guy that's next to you, you should probably be nice to him. I would agree. That would have changed the whole outcome of that. But (laughs) at the same time, I kind of feel with this type of place, the information that came out afterwards, it was only a matter of time before enough information was gathered on them anyway because uniform patrol was already being made aware of it you know they got some information and it didn't take long for detectives or narcotics to get in on it and have the information needed so i think it was only a matter of time for the way that they're operating um that they would have the the outcome would have been the same right and you just can't have that in, in the communities you know where it's, i mean you yeah. know a legitimate rehab place we we support well, when you're going to operate as an insurance scam, you're not doing the favors to the people that need the treatment whatsoever. You're you're just supplying a way to use drugs while you're just taking advantage of the system. Yeah, uh, and can't get for as much insurance money as possible, and that's just something you just can't have that. Right, and, and that they got investigated for all that too. There was a bunch of uh, insurance related. Oh yeah, a bunch of federal stuff that that investigated the insurance side of it and and. There were a bunch that came back with that, the insurance fraud. Yeah, it was. It ended up being it ended up being a good case. But here's the deal: if they hadn't been dirty, there would have been there would have been no slumber in the lumber yard, right? The guy wouldn't have died of um, smoking crack with a bottle in his rectum. I mean, the the word was anyway that the preacher was hooking them up because these people weren't local. He was hooking them up with the, the local connections to get them whatever kind of dope they wanted. And, and so that, that guy technically died as, as a result of the insurance fraud scam and the, the fake rehab, but it was a good case. It was an interesting case. I mean, never, I'm, I never saw anybody else uh, die like that. And, the lanyard or bonus for free or extra was shutting down that asshole preacher that was, you know, basically just ripping everybody off and supplying these people who are already addicted with narcotics. And he was making an ass load of money. I think it was $30,000 a person. You, you figure that was out. a preacher by title. He wasn't a yeah, preacher. Yeah, I'm sorry. By yeah, you're right. He gets real sense of the word. Right. That's for sure. Yeah, so there was no preaching going on. Yeah, the the fake preacher, um, and he went to prison, and I don't know how long it was because they did a, a bunch of federal charges on him and insurance fraud and wire fraud and all kinds of stuff. But and I didn't keep up with it 
because he drug out for a couple of years because he had a he had a shit pile of money for good defense attorneys because he was got it from the insurance uh, stuff. But he's in prison. Uh, I feel quite certain still to this day that he's in prison. So it was a good case and feel bad for the guy that, you know, that the slumber in the lumberyard guy uh, for the victim, if you will. But it is what it is. But Jim, I appreciate you, man, and and um, we'll see how this audio turns out for our listeners on this new system. Hopefully, it does well. And but you know, I love you and I appreciate you. We got some great responses um, from our first two episodes on, on state ground, part one and two. Uh, people are loving it, evidently. Uh, you and I doing it together again is a, is a real treat for me. And the fans are loving it, and I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a real treat for me as well, and uh, thank you guys for the support on this, and we'll keep we'll keep sharing these stories. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And the and so, y'all, if, if the audio doesn't come out right today, then we'll, we'll continue to try to improve upon it, but we'll do the best that we can. Hey, Jim, let's, let's talk about real quick the um, podcast awards. The, the the voting for the podcast awards shuts down at the end of July, which is like next Tuesday, I next think. Week. So it's www.podcastawards.com. And we're up for three different categories. The first one is podcast, the People's Choice Award, podcast of the year award, right? But there's like a, you know, this is worldwide over 700,000 podcasts. There's not 700,000 that are nominated, but there's a whole bunch that are nominated. But if you would, if you feel so inclined, give us your vote in that category. Now, the second one is society and culture. And the third one is drama and storytelling. So if y'all go to www.podcastawards.com, you put in your name, you make a password and it directs you to the sites. And, you know, if you, like real life, real crime. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, we're in the other, the society and culture where we're up against shows that like have millions of listeners. So I'm so curious to see how little real life, real crime can do at, as only five months old. Um, but we appreciate being nominated and we'd appreciate your vote. So you like what we've been able to do and you like what Woody's put together. Over the last five months, please uh, go on to that site, vote for us, and share it with your friends and your family. And I know that LSU Tiger Nation will go ahead and go. share this information amongst all those Tiger fans out there. I've got to give love to my LSU Tigers. That's right. That's right. It's almost football season, baby. Did you see the the uh, rehab they did to the locker room that came out, Jim? Yeah. It wasn't like that when I was there, but you know what? Those athletes... Uh, Regardless of what everybody's opinion is, they do an awful lot for those schools. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Especially big. At a big like money. LSU. And, uh, you know, they, they bring in a lot of revenue for the school each and every year. So I think they're all very well deserving of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of it is geared towards the football team, but I do believe that student athletic center that they have there is for all the student athletes. Right. So they all benefited from all the programs, whether you're, you know, on the golf team to baseball, softball, right. gymnastics, soccer, it's all a part of that student athlete, which is a wonderful uh, community and environment to be involved with. I 
I love LSU through and through. So me too. Hey, did you see this? They're going to start selling beer in Tiger Stadium this season. Don't be crazy. <laughs> and they said they wouldn't sell it in the booth next to the student section. I'm like, hell, they don't need theirs anyway. They snuck it in, but. Anyway, the, yeah, go Tigers. And then, um, y'all, if you haven't in, uh, if you will take the time also go to iTunes and leave us a review. I don't care if it's positive or negative or whatever, but we have like, we have over 1700 members on our private crew page. That's real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew on Facebook, which you have to ask to be. Uh, to join the group. And if you do that, you send a request and our, our moderators or dream team who we love so much, will get you approved. And um, that's a number that people look at, right? Those private group pages, but the other ones they look at are how many reviews you have on iTunes. And it doesn't mean you have to listen through iTunes. It could be on whatever platform you're listening on, uh, but you can go to iTunes and, and search for real life, real crime, and it'll come up and leave us a review. And I, I have never really pushed that or asked for it, but I didn't understand the importance in the past. Of course, I'm not from the podcast world, right? I didn't know what a podcast was five months ago, but it's a big deal. And we have a, a, over 300 something reviews now, but we, I mean, our yeah. listener numbers, and we're, we're in 121 countries now across the world. Really? So if y'all would, if even a percentage of you go and leave us a review, we would appreciate it. It helps us out. So definitely leave us some reviews and some, you know, your your thoughts and your feedback. I mean, listen, you, we're here to provide all this for for you fans out there that, that like to listen, and you know, we like your feedback. Yep. So if you something we've done really well or something you'd like to see us do a little bit better, look, we grow. And make this into the best that we can, um, and nobody better to guide us than you guys. Right, absolutely, and and we do, and we love each and every one of you. And we've made a lot of a lot of changes in five months that y'all have recommended. Some of them we haven't, but ninety percent of them we have. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We um, didn't know anything about a podcast. So y'all guided us, and you know when. We know that you're liking it because our numbers don't lie and we appreciate each and every one of you and just continue to, to like and share. And if you can leave us a review and if you want to vote for us and on the podcast awards, that'd be cool. Um, patron members, we love you. Uh, uh, we love all our fans equally, but patron members help support what we do in creating the show. There's a lot of costs to go with it and they help defray the cost of it so patron members um we'll get more shout outs next week but we appreciate and love each and every one of you everybody else if you can't be a patron member we don't care we love you just as much and but um if you if you could like and share and tell somebody about real life real crime and throw us a review and that's just as good it's all love um jim well, again, thank you guys very much, and I look forward to giving you more stories here coming up next week. Too. All right, so y'all, that's Jim Raffman, Jim the Hitman Raffman. Actually, we're, we're going this week. We're going to put up a full length episode on Jim the Hitman Raffman for Patron, right? So um, that's coming before the end of July, the full bonus episode, but. 
That's Jim, the hitman Raffman, and I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Thanks, Jim. Love you, bro. Good, man. Thank you. to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.